everyone, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today, we have Ben Greenbaum, Ben Story, and Ben Evan Mincer. So, <laughs> and we'll be calling Ben Greenbaum, Ben G, and Ben Story can be Ben S for those who really want to hear names. Uh, I'm Lauren Friedman Albert, also known on the Twitters as Lauren. And uh, Benji, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, sure. My name is Ben Greenbaum. I'm a technical marketing engineer with Cisco in our security integrations and investor solutions department. I am on Twitter very rarely, but when I am, I'm second sight, S-E-C-I-N-T-S-I-G-H-T. Excellent. Ben S., who are you? What do you do, buddy? Hi, my name is Ben Story. I'm a network engineer for Hospital Sisters Health System. You can find me on the Twitters as NTWRK80, or I blog at packitforwarding.com, P-A-C-K-I-T-F-O-R-D, uh, for, uh, forwarding, yes. There's got to be a W in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like special uh, internet speak record uh, audio. Gosh darn spelling. <sighs> Sorry. For the listeners at home who just think that I'm having a malfunction, I had a malfunction before this call in the form of not knowing how to plug in my freaking audio. So, Ben Story, back to you. Oh, that was it. Okay. Uh, Evan, who are you? Hello, Lauren. What do you do, buddy? That's such an existential question. So, my name is Evan Mincer. I am an information security manager for Ashfield Healthcare. Um, I On Twitter, I am, because I have no forethought, my Twitter handle is at Evan Mincer, and occasionally I blog at itsecdef.com. Love it. All right, so today we're going to be talking about problems and problem solving. Uh, and Benji, last time you were on Cisco Champion Radio, Season 7, Episode 4, uh, you started off by saying you had a lot of problems, man. So what's new? How's, how's, what's, how's that happen? What have you done to fix it? So, well, I, I want to clarify something. It, wasn't, it oh. wasn't me that had a lot of problems, okay? I never have problems. I'm a oh, problem sorry. solver, Lauren. Um, <laughs> but we have problems in the industry. We, the greater we, we all have problems, right? We're going to share our problems. And the problems that have been shared with me have largely been about security operations centers are just overworked and they're understaffed. And we've got so many technologies in the average security operations center, right? In our surveys, we found that it's not at all uncommon for a SOC to have 75 different software packages or tools that they're using to try to secure that organization. The industry has been really good about providing solutions to specific problems. And every time there's a new type of threat, every time there's a new threat vector, every time there's a new business need, we provide another product to solve that problem, right? That's, that's what I said we're all about. And eventually you have so many solutions that the sheer count of solutions is in itself a problem. You've got to use all these different tools. They're all written by different engineering teams. You know, even if they're from the same company, not to name names, but they might have been a part of an acquisition and brought in 
And so it's a product that was developed by an engineering team that at the time was an entirely different company, right? So we've got all of these solutions from all of these different teams that work in slightly different ways, that envision the problem differently, that envision the workflows meant to solve that problem differently, that use words differently. And so you've got SOC operators who are switching from console to console and have to remember, I'm in this product now, and they call you know this thing an alert. I'm in that product now, and they call this thing an alarm. If I want to search for an IP address in this product, I just type it into the bar at the top right. If I want to search for an IP address on that other product, I got to go four menus deep and click on search and then click on yes, I really am sure. Okay. This is a bit of a nightmare because it just takes brain cycles. It just takes, you know, maintaining these mental models of how the different products work detracts from our ability to actually use the skills and resources and experience that we've got to solve the problem instead of just navigating the different solutions. And so the way that Cisco addressed this problem two years ago was with the introduction of something called Threat Response. That is an integration platform. It's an API aggregator of sorts. And it brings multiple different technologies together so that they can be leveraged in a coordinated fashion in the process of an investigation or an incident response. So wait, was this all on one console? Is that the goal? Like a... Yes, Threat Response is one console. Do these consoles have glass covers? (laughs) <laughs> they, but the, the, So when you're looking at a console, you're looking at a material that is glass-like. And if you're looking yes. at a single console, to go yes. with that metaphor, glass comes in panes. Uh-huh. And so you could be looking at only one pane of that material, which uh-huh. is no longer glass in any modern monitor, but yet the terminology oh, okay. remains. So you Are you going to make me go drink? This. <laughs> <laughs> if this if this was a drinking game and you were waiting for somebody to say single pane of glass, I just said. Boom. But I will say also that we are not calling it a single pane of glass for the simple reason that that has certain connotations in the marketplace. Oh and we are not pretending that we are providing a single location for people to do every possible thing. What we're providing is a gathering of tools leveraged from different technologies, all made available in one place. But if you're looking to be able to go to a single, you know, location in the cloud and have access to every possible capability that's uh, in FMC, that's in the Umbrella Management Console, that's in the Amp for Endpoints Management Console, that's in the SMA Console, that is not happening here. That's not what this is for. But what it is for is to greatly speed up the investigative And incident response processes, our customers have told us that in some cases, because they're using threat response, they're getting up to 85% efficiency gains. Now, most of them are saying that they're getting about double. So they're able to get twice as much done. That literally means that they are able to process twice as many alerts, twice as many incidents without having to buy another piece of technology, without having to hire another person. And that's very powerful. And we learned a lot in the course of rolling out, you know, developing and rolling out threat response. And recently, we announced the availability of SecureX. Like, literally recently, as in yesterday when I'm recording this right now. Um, and that takes the lessons that we learned, the capabilities that we provided, to the next level. And that's what we're here to talk about today, is SecureX. Awesome. So, so Ben, so, so SecureX, uh, really, it's, it's kind of threat response, which is a great product. And that, as you said, came out a couple years back. But this really isn't just threat response 2.0, is it? There's more to it. 
It's really not. If it was just Threat Response 2.0, it would have been much easier for us to just call it Threat Response 2.0, trust me. Um, but SecureX adds entirely new capabilities and builds on the strengths built into Threat Response at the same time. So whereas Threat Response allowed you to do incident uh, investigations, incident response, handle some alerts, do some triage, uh, take some response actions very, very quickly in a manual fashion, SecureX brings in the power of orchestration and automation as well so that we, we went from customers who had to pivot between, you know, a dozen different consoles and collect threat intelligence from half a dozen different places, all manually tracking the stuff in, you know, a spreadsheet or, or a text editor, or maybe if they were lucky, an actual investigative software package. Um, and, and now they don't have to do all that work. They can do it all in one place in threat response. But in SecureX, they don't even necessarily have to do that because we can automate a lot of those processes. We can automate a lot of the threat hunting. We can automate a lot of the chains of response actions that you might take. There's additionally a whole new single sign-on capacity built into SecureX. There's the ribbon, which is something that's added to the different interfaces of the products that integrate with SecureX, allowing you to leverage capabilities from entirely other products without having to even go to those products or to SecureX itself. So there really is a lot on top of just threat response. I mean, SecureX includes threat response, but it also includes a lot more. Okay, so Ben, you're, you're telling me a lot of great features that you've added on to Cisco threat response, which as a customer of Cisco, my brain goes immediately to how much money am I going to have to budget for this? So how much more is SecureX compared to Cisco threat response, which was amazingly free at the time? Threat response was and remains amazingly uh, amazingly free. Now, SecureX, it's a kind of complicated licensing model, so I'm going to give you guys a minute to absorb the information that I'm about to share with you. It's exactly the same. If you have any product that integrates with SecureX, you have access to SecureX. SecureX isn't an additional product you have to buy. It's not a license you have to add you know, to your light items on your bill of sale. It's an experience that's built into the just the state of owning a SecureX-capable Cisco product. Um, it's an integration platform. It's an experience that's just a perk of being a Cisco security customer. It's, it's built in. And, and so what are the uh, SecureX-compatible products at this point? Um, at this point, we have got the email security appliance, the web security appliance, AMP for endpoints, threat grid, firepower devices, umbrella, uh, Tetration. I know I'm missing some. The idea is that soon it's going to be the entirety of the Cisco security portfolio, and I would estimate we're about two-thirds of the way there. Nice. So I, I, I own AMP, I own Umbrella, I own one of those things. I can then log in to, you talked about before, there's a security single sign-on uh, portal. I can go to that. Um, and then for me to set it up, I go to SecureX, and I believe at that point I basically have to set up my API calls with those products. Is that correct? Yeah, the way the integrations work is it falls into one of two major models. And that distinction is between is it a cloud service or is it an on-premise product? And if it's a cloud service, then you just put in your API keys, which you can you know, generate in the cloud product, um, and then paste them into a configuration screen in SecureX, and then you're off to the races with that. If it's an on-premise device, then it uses something called Cisco Security Services Exchange, which is a cloud service hosted by Cisco that is also free to use at no additional charge. Uh, you configure the device with SSE. And then SecureX talks to SSE, and SSE kind of brokers that connection into your environment. Now, I want to make 
it very clear when I say into your environments. That is initiated from your environment. So you don't have to make any firewall rules to allow traffic from random cloud-hosted services into your network. The devices in your network reach out initiate that connection because you opted in to have it do that. And it establishes that connection and that connection established from within your network is what's used for the communications. So don't get scared because I said into your environment. But we literally need to be able to talk to those devices if you want to have them be part of your SecureX enabled infrastructure. So slightly more if it's if it's an on-premises uh, device versus a cloud service like Umbrella. But really, I know from an Umbrella standpoint, it's easy. You go into admin, you go to the API, generate the API key. And then on the SecureX side, you basically take that and, and put that in and then boom, it's done. That's exactly it. And as the person who has made many of the tutorial videos on how to integrate these things, I can tell you that none of my videos are more than 10 minutes long. And I take a lot of time talking about it. And I show before and after demonstrations of what an investigation looks like with and without that technology integrated. So I mean, 10 minutes for me to do it slowly with lots of exposition and high verbosity. Um, and so the, the initial, uh, sorry, the individual integrations typically take between three and five minutes. This is not a huge investment of setup time. And then after Afterwards, it's done. And it's done for your organization. So if you've got six people on your team, they don't all need to go through and integrate each of these products or devices. One person can do it, and then it works for everybody on the team. And for those organizations that have already put the effort into integrating for threat response, that just carries over, correct? That's correct. All of the integrations set up in threat response um, will still continue to work. This is a seamless migration for threat response users. That's cool. So before you talk about, like we were talking about IT efficiencies, you said it, it helps 85% efficiency uh, for people, for the, for the workforce, which is, which is great. Where does those efficiencies come from? What, what is it about SecureX that can really make us that more efficient? It's the loss of the expenditure of time spent swiveling between different interfaces. It's the loss of the expenditure of time caused by manually collating information from all these multiple sources and drawing out a diagram and understanding what was the chain of events that led to this incident. It's the efficiency gained by not having to go to all these different threat intelligence sources to find out, you know, what does the world know about this particular email address or what does the world know about this particular domain? Um, and it's the efficiency gained by being able to respond directly from the same console you're already looking at to discover all of this information. And remember, that was the efficiency gained with no automation. That was just bringing multiple APIs together so that you can use multiple products from one place. We start adding orchestration and automation like we've done with SecureX. And we expect, frankly, we expect those numbers to go way up. So let's talk about the automation. So I mean, before with, with Threat Response, great product, I can go in there and, and help investigate problems that I'm seeing in the environment. So what, what else can we do to automate? What can I automate? You can automate those same response actions, for example. If you want to have, um, and, and they're called workflows, if you want to have a workflow that you know blocks a file on AMP for endpoints and also blocks that same file elsewhere, you could do that through Unity. If you're an AMP for Endpoints customer, you can block it on any AMP-enabled device via an AMP for Endpoints feature called AMP Unity. But let's actually say that for whatever reason, you're not an AMP for Endpoints customer, but you have AMP-enabled firewalls and email security appliances and web security appliances. Right now, there would be no way for you to block that file on all three of those different types of devices at once. But with a workflow, 
You could. You could have a single menu item that just says, you know, in, in threat response. When you click that uh, menu to get, you know, whatever my available response actions, you could have a single item that says block this file on all AMP-enabled devices. And that option would then kick off a workflow that then submitted to, you know, the, it, to the appropriate APIs to add this file hash to the block list for that class of device. So uh, another thing you can... One, it's not a one-way communication. So if, if I have, you know, something's found in, in, say, AMP, it can go to SecureX. SecureX can then, through a workflow, notify that and then actually go back to, say, Umbrella and say, if you see this file, put a block in. We can use any of the APIs from any of the products in SecureX orchestration. And I should also mention that includes a lot of third-party products as well. So you can do things uh, across multiple different kinds of technologies. Um, you can talk to Sims. You can talk to SOARS. You can talk to cloud infrastructure. You can spin up additional VMs in Google Cloud or in Amazon Web Services. Um, you can send a notification to Duo that then includes the ability for the recipient to approve the remainder of the workflow. So you can have this kind of human supervised model where a bunch of actions can be taken automatically. And then for some perhaps more sensitive types of responses, you can have that behind an approval gateway so that an actual human has to look at this and say, yes, this is the appropriate response to this situation and click approve or they, or click deny. And then, you know, then those things don't happen. Um, you can, Interact directly with Windows. You can interact with databases uh, via a database connector. You can run arbitrary Python scripts that you wrote as part of these workflows. It's very flexible, very extensible, and as a result, it's very powerful. And what you can do with it is largely uncharted white space. I mean, you can do the things that your organization needs. So and out of the box... Oh, go ahead, ben. So, so out of the box with these workflows, are there any like canned uh, workflows to help get you started, you know, kind of give you um, training wheels, so to speak? There are. And not only that, but you can share workflows amongst yourselves as well because these workflows are a, a text file. In a, in, in essentially, you can export it as a text file. Now, the technology that you use to build these workflows, you don't have to be a programmer. Uh, a little bit of basic familiarity with concepts like variables and, and flow control doesn't hurt. But you don't have to be a programmer. It's not a programming language that you have to learn. It's a drag and drop graphical user interface where you select things from a menu on the left and just drag them into this workspace and you can order them. You can put conditionals if you want and in different branches that execute. Then you can export this as a text file, and you can share it as GitHub. There's built-in GitHub adapters, in fact, to, sit, to somewhat automate that process. You can literally mail them to each other. It's a text file. You can do what you want. And so not only is there an entire Cisco team that's writing these workflows for our users to import, adopt, modify, use as they see fit, but you can share within communities if you're a member of an ISAC or, or you're, you're in the CERT. Um, you can share them with your friends. It's, it's really literally unlimited. Um, the ways that you can import and export these between communities, between uh, different members, you know, your peers that you know in industry, uh, different groups that you might belong to, and of course from Cisco, and even third-party providers could write workflows that interact specifically with their products if they wished, and then make those workflows available to their customers who are also SecureX users. So are there any workflows available today on GitHub? There are. 
There are some workflows available today on GitHub, and I'm not immediately familiar with which ones are ready to roll out as of this recording. So I will direct you to the Cisco Security GitHub if you want to find out what's available as workflows. There's also a number of workflows built into um, the orchestration interface that you will see when you go there for the first time. There's already little tiles of workflows that are available for our users. So let's let's talk about the data flow because uh, you know, as a security person, especially someone that works globally. There's always a concern about the data, especially when you look at uh, regulations like GDPR, California's new regulation, things like that. So there's that API key, but what data is really actually flowing into SecureX and getting stored there? So I'm going to start by talking about something that SecureX is not, <laughs> because that people are familiar with the idea of a SIM. People are familiar with the idea of log aggregation. And so people think of this, you know, a solution to this problem of being able to navigate the data records kept by multiple different security technologies. That's what people think of. And in that model, you're literally collecting the logs from multiple different technologies into one data lake. But we're solving the same business problem via a different technological model. We're not aggregating data per se, we're aggregating the APIs that can be used to access that data. So when you do an investigation in SecureX, SecureX then takes the things that you're investigating, those indicators, those observables, and is asking it in a kind of a federated model, each of the technologies that you've integrated, hey, what do you know about this thing? What do you know about this thing? What do you know about this thing? You know, in order. And we don't collect in bulk, everything that technology knows about everything. We're asking very specific questions directed by our users of the technologies that retain control over the storage of that data. Now, all of the responses are then obviously transmitted to the cloud and stored in the cloud for the duration of the investigation. The user can take snapshots and keep records in various different ways, which then in turn are also kept in the cloud. But once the investigation is done, if they haven't taken any record, they move on to the next investigation or just close the tab, it's gone. And so we're not bulk uploading data to the cloud with a few exceptions. And so I'll talk about those exceptions in a minute. But in general, in the normal day-to-day -day operation of SecureX, we are not bulk hosting data in a cloud. Now, those clouds are in North America and in Europe and in Asia. So if you need to, because of policy or because of law, if you need to keep your data at all times within your geographical region, we can address that. But even so, the bulk of your data is still maintained wherever you already agreed to host it, whether that's in the cloud or on-prem, because we're just asking questions here. We're asking your on-prem devices, hey, have you ever heard of this IP address? You know, Do you have uh, any emails sent from this email address or that contain this file hash? It would be an entirely different model if we were uploading everything into the cloud. We're obviating a lot of the concerns that come with that model by simply not doing that. Um, however, the Firepower integration does upload a subset of all log data to Security Services Exchange that cloud-hosted intermediary platform that I mentioned earlier. So Firepower device logs, a subset of them, do go into the cloud where they are stored for seven or more days, depending on licensing. And then in SecureX, we're asking that cloud, you know, what do you have from this user, uh, from their Firepower devices that matches this very particular query? And so we're asking a cloud data lake 
for a very particular thing, but the cloud data lake does exist. So in some ways, yes, in that model for firepower users, bulk data is going up to the cloud. Now, again, those clouds are available regionally, and so businesses can decide what they're comfortable with and what they're what they're legally or policy-wise allowed to do. Um, the other thing that goes up to the cloud is incidents. And so SecureX includes an incident manager, which is kind of like a ticketing system. Um, you can think of it as an ability to organize incidents or alerts or alarms or whatever the product calls it from multiple different products into one place. Some amounts of triage is performed already to, to kind of bubble up the most important ones. It allows you to track things like who it was assigned to. Is this incident currently open or closed? It allows you to very easily, quickly pivot into investigations and take those, uh, you know, those first response actions but it does require that all that information is hosted in the cloud and so the firepower uh, alerts that get made into incidents those are hosted in threat response um, stealth watch enterprise alerts that get made into incidents are hosted in SecureX in the cloud as we bring other technologies in to incident manager then that data will also be hosted in the cloud now remember this is a very small subset of what's already a small subset of information, but those will be hosted in the cloud. And of course that's opt in on a per product basis. Users can decide if they want this product to feed into the incident manager features of SecureX. The other thing that's stored in the cloud are those records that I mentioned earlier. So if a user is doing an investigation, and they say, oh, this is super interesting. I should save a record of this for later. They can take what's called a snapshot. That snapshot is then stored in the cloud. And so that would include information about the external observables that were part of the incident. So, you know, those external IP addresses or file hashes or whatever there is. And it would also include target information, which might include the IP address or the MAC address or the host name of their internal asset that was part of the series of events that they're investigating. Now, again, that's entirely voluntary on the part of the user. They choose whether or not to do that. Those items can also be deleted later. If there's a data retention concern, this can all be done over the API as well so that it can be automated. Um, if there's, you know, if the company policy is, well, you can keep these things in the cloud for 30 days, but not longer, whatever the policy is, there's a way to meet those needs provided as part of SecureX. Um, the, so let's see, that's incidents and snapshots. The other data that's kept in the cloud is um, casebooks. Casebooks are just a list of observables that the user has chosen to keep as a group so that group of observables can be quickly investigated at any future time. Again, this is voluntary. This is user action that they're taking. And it's just the grouping of those observables, which can include internal assets if the user has chosen to include those things. Um, but that set of information is also stored in the cloud. These are all user-initiated actions. The bulk logs, like I said, except for the exception of firepower devices, are still kept wherever the user was already keeping them. We just have access to them via the APIs. Well, that's really great because then, from a you know from a, a data a, a data protection standpoint, you're already dealing with the GDPR and the other regulations on the application like umbrella. And then, as you said, the rest is voluntary, so that really works out well for uh, for any regulations. So, I mean, how quickly can it can it react to the data? I mean, I know CTR was was pretty good about it could react quickly, but now you have automation and everything else. Does it slow it down at all? It doesn't slow down the access, and then the speed of access to the data is largely dependent on the product from which the data came. And so, there's different upload frequencies. There's different, um, you know, there's different mechanisms that the different products use to organize and, and retain that data. Um, but in general, I mean, if something happened a few minutes ago, you should have access to it via SecureX via the threat response um, toolset that's available. We're looking for 
fast visibility. That's that's one of the points. And and not only do we have access to the information very shortly after it happened, but you have access to it via the sensor technologies that see that happening from multiple different angles. Yeah, that's great. Now you talked about uh, incident management. Now what if I already have an incident management tool like ServiceNow? Can it well, it's interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned ServiceNow because the orchestration toolkit actually has built-in compatibility with ServiceNow. Uh, opening a ticket in ServiceNow is one of those things you can select from that left menu and drag out into the orchestration workspace and have that happen automatically. Um, so yeah, there's a great uh, there's a great integration already built with ServiceNow. If you have an existing ticketing system, if you have a SIM or any other IT level ticketing system that you're using. You don't have to abandon it by any stretch. You've already made those investments. The whole point of this is to let you get more value out of the investments you've already made, both with Cisco and with third parties. And so Threat Response uh, and all of SecureX works really well alongside any technology like that because you can leverage every integration that SecureX has without having to build that integration yourself via simply integrating with SecureX. You've got a technology of any kind that shows you observables in its console. Well, you can use SecureX to get dispositions on that observable in seconds from all the technologies that are integrated with SecureX already. So you can have something do a lookup via the SecureX API and immediately find out what is known about that observable from the AMP file reputation database, from Talos Intelligence database, from the Umbrella Investigate database, from all of these other integrated threat intelligence sources that you've got available in SecureX without having to write an integration for each and every one of them. That's the power of API aggregation and the fact that SecureX also has its own API. So it works both ways. Your existing technologies can leverage SecureX for the things that SecureX does well. And SecureX can leverage your existing technologies for the things that they do well, which can include certainly ticket management. So you, you've referenced third parties uh, several times. What, what kind of um, feedback are you getting from the third party ecosystem vendors in terms of their willingness or wanting to get into the SecureX um, partnerships? The response has been very positive. Um, we've got a whole team of engineers internally here at Cisco whose job is to build this third-party ecosystem. And they're getting great cooperation from dozens and dozens of vendors. We're going to integrate with just about, uh, well, I have to, have to talk, talk I have to stop talking in the future. We have already integrated with hundreds of different vendors um, as of release day, yesterday as of the time of this recording, um, to roll out these integrations to our mutual customers. Vendors want their products to be SecureX capable because it's another way for their own customers to get additional value out of those products, the same way we want our customers to get a, you know, the most possible value out of our products. And so we've built partnerships with organizations in multiple different industries and in multiple different niches within the security industry. We've got partnerships with some vendors who are competing with us in other product spaces. And it's all been very cooperative. We've had great results and great responses from everybody, uh, just about everybody that we've reached out to. What difficulties might a company run into if they're trying to work with you for an integration? Are there, are there hurdles they would have to jump through or certain ways they'd have to clean data or something like that? Or am I just asking a really dumb question because I'm looking at your face via WebEx and you're just looking at me like, who are you and what is wrong with you, lady? Anywho, go ahead. 
Who who is this person that's suddenly talking? Um, I was on mute because I so I'm not going to be noisy. Sorry, uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to call it problems um, because it's just it, it's an accepted part of the integrated integration process. Um, different products store data in different ways. They transmit and communicate that data in different ways. I mean that is the integration process. You can't have an integration without encountering these challenges. Um, and so a lot of the work that our integration team does is in writing things that translate between different, you can think of it as protocols, except they're generally proprietary, you know, inside the product. Um, and, and, and just building that translation layer. Uh, and one thing that's interesting that we've rolled out recently in SecureX Threat Response is this concept of a relay module. And what that does is it abstracts some of that work. So the, the translating part on the Cisco side is kind of, I don't want to say containerized, but it's, it's kind of pre-done. And so you can have this intermediary piece deployed that then translates from the Cisco data model and Cisco APIs into any arbitrary third-party uh, data model and third-party APIs. The user or the vendor still has to do the work to codify that half of the equation. But then half the work is kind of already done. And we've got many of these up on GitHub as well. If you go to github.com slash Cisco security, um, there's a number of these relay modules available for download and deployment. And it allows you co to connect to over a dozen third-party threat intelligence sources and products right now. Um, and vendors have been very quick to adopt this and say, yeah, you know, I'll write my half of this and you've already done your half. And then our customers can use our products in SecureX, which is great for everybody. So, so what's, I mean, I'm kind of thinking about what's in it for Cisco. So it's, it's a free product. So Cisco's not making money off of it directly. What's, what's the future roadmap is when are they going to start charging? Cause it sounds so great. There is no intent to ever charge for access to SecureX. Like I said, it's a built-in experience. It's a perk of being a Cisco security customer. You can use it with your Cisco security devices because when you purchased the device, you earned that right. It was part of the license you bought. For those of you who already bought licenses and didn't know at the time, that surprise, you get this thing. Um, you can also use it for some of your third-party devices because we want, and the products, because we want your security operations to work better as a result of you being a Cisco customer, even if some of that benefit isn't delivered by products that say Cisco on them. We're going to continue offering this for free to integrate with all of your Cisco gear because we want our customers to get the maximum value out of the investments they've already made and plan to continue making with Cisco. Now, I'm not going to pretend we're a charity organization. We do expect the customers are going to buy more Cisco more often because of this great set of benefits that they get out of the SecureX experience, but we're not charging for that experience. So really with secure with SecureX, you're going to get more benefit as you add more things into it. So say you're, you're an AMP for Endpoints customer, you can get more out of it if you become an umbrella customer as well. Absolutely, because the more capabilities, so SecureX can be thought of as a transport mechanism for the capabilities granted by the different members of your deployed Cisco and third-party security stack. And so the more SecureX-capable things you've got in that stack, the more actions you can take, the more intelligence you can collect in SecureX and using the different tools within SecureX. So if you think of it as a transport mechanism for capabilities, well, the more capabilities you put in the bus, the more capabilities you've got in the bus. The math kind of does itself. Um, if it's a Swiss Army knife, to use that metaphor, the more blades you have in the Swiss Army knife, the more 
capability you've got out of that tool, the less often you're going to have to dig through your toolbox and find something else. If you've got every possible screwdriver in your Swiss Army knife or in your Leatherman or your multi-tool of whatever kind, that's less often you're going to have to go hunting for that tool somewhere else. So yes, the more building blocks you add, the more capability you've got in the SecureX platform and the SecureX experience. I also really liked what you said there about, you know, even it, it will work on to other products you might have in your network that aren't necessarily Cisco. And I was thinking, you know, if let's say there's a, a breach or a failure, the CIO might care, oh, which product was it that caused the problem? The CEO or CFO, they don't care. They're like the network, no worky, make it make it worky. And so, you know, if, if there's a little bit of Cisco in there, you, you want to make sure the full network is secured. Or am I just way off topic here? I love the quizzical looks I draw. I should really just shut up here. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need we need we need to find a way to bottle and market the specific response to some of your questions um kevin i hope you're cutting all of this out of the recording <laughs> um let me think of a way to address that though i did i i mean you're you, you well it's really about the visibility yeah so it's not just it's not just i have amp for endpoints and it's one product and i'm just looking at that product it's more the the integration between all of the different products that have data, putting it into that one location so the data can be analyzed easier. Yeah, so what I was saying is, let's say something else fails, but this is working with that something else. Or let's say, this this would, ha the goal here is to help secure networks, right? So that, so the goal is to make, make sure that other thing doesn't fail or cause a problem, right? I'm just gonna go sh sit in my corner because I this totally makes sense in my head, but I'm not making any sense to either of you. And, it's very disturbing. Just got to give peas a chance. Line. Okay. World peas. <laughs> All right. So back to the normally just uh, scheduled conversation. It's a reasonable expectation that breaches will happen. Statistically, every organization is at some point going to suffer a breach. And what you can do about that breach and how far that breach gets are really the only variables at play here. Now, how far the breach gets is a factor of how much time has it been since the initial breach? How much time has your attacker had to move laterally to gain additional assets of value? Um, and that's a factor of how quickly can your team detect that a breach has happened and how quickly can your team respond to that breach? And by addressing both of those variables, by bringing all the sensor technology together and bringing all of the response technology together, we are increasing the security of our customer organizations by tying in not only their Cisco products, but also the third-party products that they've got. And so leveraging those additional assets does in fact make SecureX work better because if a customer has got non-Cisco items in their inventory, which we are aware, all of, most of our customers do, the ability to use those in that same coordinated fashion is an additional value that Cisco brings to things Cisco didn't even make. So you said two-thirds of the, uh, the business units at Cisco have already integrated with SecureX. How much uh, push is it for getting the rest of the products in there? I mean, how much is Cisco putting behind SecureX to make this a all-encompassing product? And so I want to, okay, first off, I need to admit that when I said two-thirds, that was a really high-level, off-the-cuff estimate. Um, but the, 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 the priority of this across the Cisco security business group is, I will describe it as top. So getting every product 
integrated with SecureX is, as a general rule, the top engineering directive for every product team in the security business group at Cisco. So That's how seriously we're taking years, this. Yeah. A few years back at, at Cisco Live, I remember uh, seeing security becoming that primary focus on the keynote. This is important for Cisco, it sounds like. Security is a very important topic. Not only is security a very important topic at Cisco, but let's be honest, and I alluded to this earlier, we built our security portfolio over the course of the last decade or so, spending billions of dollars buying companies who had made excellent security products. We spent the last couple of years trying to make them work better together because deploying a lot of Cisco security technology five years ago was a lot like deploying different point products from different individual vendors because that's kind of what you were doing. Nowadays, it's our top priority to make sure that is no longer, that no shred of that disconnected experience remains for a Cisco customer. You bought a bunch of Cisco things, they're going to look the same, they're going to work in similar fashions, and they're going to work together in SecureX and via SecureX. And that is top of mind across our engineering and executive teams. So SecureX kind of becomes the bridge between all those products. That's exactly what it is. It's the portal, it's the viewpoint, it's the user interface of those integrations happening on the back end between engineering teams. It's the way that that integrated security architecture story is actually written down and delivered to our users. So Ben, if you were talking to a customer that maybe, you know, they've, they've used CTR and now they're, they're going with SecureX and they've, let's say they've been using it for a couple months. What's one feature that you think in in SecureX that gets overlooked by uh, the initial round with most customers that you, you want to call out? The initial thing that an existing threat response user is most likely to do first in SecureX is just make sure everything still works the same that they already set up. Make sure that all of their integrations still work uh, and make sure that their, um, their existing casebooks and snapshots and uh, all their configurations and stored data is still there. That's just instinct. People want to do that. Um, and they'll quickly find out that, yes, it's all still there and they can move on to, okay, what's new that I can explore? And for a threat response user, they're going to be used to the idea of the casebook widget in the integrated product user interfaces. So in AMP for endpoints and in ThreatGrid and so on, you had this little widget that sat down at the bottom right of those interfaces. I'm not talking about the threat response UI. I'm talking about the UIs of the integrated products. You had this little thing in the corner. You could pop it up and you could see your current casebook. Um, you could add observables to it. You could take response actions across the entirety of your threat response capable deployment. The new version of that in SecureX is called the Ribbon, and it offers so much more functionality than the Casebook widget, but it's similar in that it lives in the user interfaces of the different integrated products. So if you're in ThreatGrid and you're a SecureX user, you can pop up the Ribbon. It's a little blue bar at the bottom of the screen. You hit it, and it, it kind of pops up like a heads-up display at the bottom of the screen, and you can see into your Casebooks. That's still there. That's still the same. That's one of the apps. You can see into your Incident Manager. If you're an AMP for Endpoints Advantage user, you have access to Orbital, which is a new Endpoint uh, Advanced Search uh, based on OS Query. And you have that available to you in the ribbon. So from ThreatGrid, you can find out something interesting about a malware sample that you're looking at that ThreatGrid analyzed for you. And you can actually look for evidence of that across your entire deployment of Endpoints via Orbital from the ribbon right there in ThreatGrid without having to go anywhere else. Now, ThreatGrid is a cloud file analysis system. It doesn't have access to your endpoints, but because SecureX gives you access to Orbital in the ribbon, you get these chains 
of integration. And that's, again, what I'm talking about with the power of an API aggregation model. You get these chains of integration that allow you to leverage features from any product in any product. So you have the potential to leverage the investigative or response capabilities of every single item in your Cisco portfolio that's deployed from the user interface of every single item in your portfolio that's deployed. One gives that capability to the many and the many have the, uh, you know, the, uh, the capability of leveraging that. That's the ribbon. I would investigate that. The next thing that I would, I would investigate that first because it's powerful and it's very simple. The next thing I would investigate is very powerful, but not necessarily very simple. And that's orchestration. And the reason that orchestration isn't simple is simply because it's so powerful. How simple or how complex it is is up to the individual user. Um, but I would definitely go to orchestration, check out some of the default workflows that will be available. Here's an example. One of the default workflows that's available for all of our users that Cisco wrote that all of our users can, can leverage is the ability to investigate a URL in ThreatGrid. So if you're a ThreatGrid user then you have a, a, the ability to use this workflow from orchestration in threat response, where for any URL that pops up in an investigation or that you manually investigated, you can then submit that URL to ThreatGrid via a workflow. Now, the built-in ThreatGrid integration doesn't currently allow that, but there's a workflow that allows that. And so in threat response, you can submit any URL that pops up to ThreatGrid and then you can pivot over to ThreatGrid and see that analysis in action. You can watch it in real time. You can watch the, or you can read the analysis report later the same way as you would normally interact with ThreatGrid. But you are able to submit the URL in a single click directly from ThreatResponse. And I mentioned this, and of course it only works if you're a ThreatGrid user, but I mentioned this because it's a very quick and simple way to see an example of the power of orchestration. I would explore the other workflows that are available by default. I wouldn't just use them. I would open them up in Orchestrator, in the editing facilities of Orchestrator, and look through the little flowchart of steps that are taken and really familiarize yourself with some of the basic concepts and some of the capabilities. And then go through that menu on the left of all the steps you can choose from that you could add to that workflow if you were going to edit it just to get an idea of what kind of steps are available. What are the technologies that you can integrate with in SecureX Orchestrator? So those are those are the top two things that I would recommend a threat response user to check out immediately are the ribbon and orchestration. So that's cool. So you said the workflows, you could actually, all the built-in ones, you could open up. And if there's one that does almost what you want to do, you could then work off one of the ones that's already built in. Yeah, you can make a copy of it for yourself and then edit that copy to your heart's content. Absolutely. Nice. So out of all those, do you have a favorite uh, new feature? I am personally most intrigued and most excited by orchestration. I mean, it's a game changer. And there is a term that I don't use very often. Um, I'm kind of just personally not prone to hype. But it really is because it, it's that last barrier it's, I can see Lauren making the take a drink face because I said something that sounds markety. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I was but, just teasing because for folks who don't know because they were not here. At the beginning, before this call, I was like, okay, look, Benji, if you say a certain word, which you haven't said yet, I'm just, after maybe three or four times, I'm just going to start yelling drink. And so you, you were getting to that territory. I got very excited, but you may continue. And I gave you uh, time to have a nice sip of, whatever you're drinking coffee <laughs> or just let, let, let uh, them so, be innovative 
<laughs> Let me think of an innovative way to describe this. Um, it it removes some of those last manual steps. So I've been part of threat response since before we initially rolled it out. Um, and I would describe it at times as our war on copy and paste because you used to have to copy out, you know, each IP address you might see in a blog or in an analysis report and paste it into 17 different interfaces and then take the results of that and each of those and copy it out and paste it into the document you were using as a record of this investigation. Um, and, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just copy the entire article and paste it into threat response and look at how we're solving problems. Then people said, well, that's a copy-paste operation, isn't it? Okay, so then we released the browser plugin. Now you don't have to copy it out of your browser and paste it into threat response. You can just click a button in your browser and we'll do all that for you. Um, and then, so that's like the last frontier, right? That was the last copy-paste anyone should ever have to do. And now they don't have to do it because of the browser plugin. And then somebody said, well, why do I even have to do that? Why don't you just read these articles and investigate them? And orchestration allows us to actually break through that final frontier of manual, clicky, tasky labor that socks are engaged in by allowing some of that work to be automated in the first place. I'm not saying that you shouldn't read blogs anymore, but there's a workflow that'll read a blog and do an investigation and let you know if any of your internal assets have been uh, seen communicating with any of the things mentioned in that blog. We'll okay, post ben, it to so, WebEx so, Teams for you. You can open a ServiceNow ticket if you want. So so for the people that are sold, where should they go to to learn more? What website? Security.cisco.com. Definitely head over there. You can go to, that's where you can go to actually log in and start using it. You can also go to cisco.com slash go slash SecureX to learn more before you try it. So as soon as you buy any of the products, you know, Umbrella, Amp, Firepower, whatever you get, a, you get that login to secure.cisco.com and get SecureX, get your APIs going so you can have a connector so we can start seeing the information that you're getting out of those other products. If you're listening to this right now and you already own a Cisco security product, there's a real good chance you can go to security.cisco.com and get signed in and get started and be using this thing in 10 minutes. Woohoo. That's awesome. I'm always amused on podcasts because I. I imagine people think that they're on video and so like there's going to be like a hyperlink that pops up at the bottom and I'm like but yeah but people are like driving when they're listening to podcasts so anyways we'll put this in the show notes um so anyway and I would love to thank our they'll they'll just have to listen again yeah totally I would love to thank our speakers Benji Ben S and Evan um and for those of you who've gotten to this point uh feel free to hit subscribe. We are on uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever Google's thing is called these days, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. We're all over the place. Uh, This podcast gets around. And uh, until next time, thank you, everyone. 